Good morning, Grid Connections listeners. I'm really excited to be sharing this episode with you today. I'm joined by two different representatives from X-Charge North America. I know a really common theme we have on our episode is talking about charging infrastructure. And so I think it'd be great to have two representatives from the space who can talk to us about all the different intricacies and different challenges, along with, most importantly, the success they're seeing in this space. So today I'm joined by Andrew Kelly, the Director of Energy Solutions at X-Charge North America, as well as Luke Cox. He's the Senior Director of Business Development at X-Charge North America. Thank you, gentlemen, both for joining me today. And uh, we just really love to kind of hear a little bit more for our listeners, uh, intros of what you do and uh, X-Charge in general. Sure. Thanks, Chase. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us a little bit. I guess I'll kick things off. Uh, like, like you mentioned, my name is Luke Cox. I am the Senior Director of Biz Development here for XCharge. And my oversight is anything into some of our client solutions, you know, helping people understand our hardware and the way to implement it, as well as, you know, helping transact not only here in North America, but in some of the other spaces that XCharge operates globally. All right. Thanks, Luke. Uh, so I'm, I'm Andrew Kelly, the Director of Energy Solutions. Uh, joined XCharge this year, and my my role, my focus here is I work very closely with our grid operator, our utility partners, on the operations side, ensuring that our equipment is you know usable, acceptable, and all different kinds of use cases uh, is accepted in various different kinds of you know subsidy programs, rebate programs, things like that. And then on the uh, business development side, you know I'm seeking and, and looking for partnerships with those those same kind of customers, uh, grid operators, utility companies developers who focus on the distributed energy space you know i come from the uh, renewable energy industry so taking some of those uh those perspectives into ev charging is something we're working on the, the top line philosophy we have is you know we're really a partner of uh and uh, we are in support of all the things that the grid needs to do to operate effectively in the future electrification is coming and uh, that's that's our our goal here is to work with uh, work with the the operators of the grid. Make sure everything happens as smoothly and as efficiently as possible. And I, I think that's exactly what our listeners like to hear. And thank thank you both. Um, I, I guess we, I just I had to do a little bit of research in preparation of this. I'd, I'd come across X Charge a few times, but I, I think um, real quickly, can uh, either you or both of you just kind of go over how X Charge uh, kind of has come to the North American market? Some of the ways that uh, maybe that the company is approaching it differently and just maybe the overall mindset of what um, makes X-Charge different from others in the space right now. Sure. Happy to kind of take that one up first and then kick it over to Andrew. So uh, X-Charge Group is, is a much larger entity than North America is at this moment. So at the group level, we currently operate in 22 different countries. We've deployed more than 40,000 pieces of hardware globally. Um, we are top two in market share for DC fast charging manufacturing in Europe. Um, and then we brought the first bi-directional battery integrated direct current fast charger to market as well last year. Um, you know, one of the things that really sets us apart is not only our, you know, juggernaut status and how many things we've manufactured and deployed globally, but in the way that we kind of create our charging solutions to be very solution specific based on the use case, based on the available power, you know, and what led to the launch of X-Charge in North America is that you know we're, we're based in Hamburg, Germany, and we've had great success in Europe with some of the largest operators in the world, some of the largest power companies like NLX, EDP, and Vattenfall, um, which we work with you know at significant scale globally. We realized that North America is 
always been about five or six years behind Europe from a, an infrastructure perspective. So transitioning some of the world's best equipment to North America is just a matter of education and a matter of, of working with your customers and end clients to really find the right utilization and the right use case to deploy the, the technology we've already kind of perfected. So for us in North America, it's just a matter of getting the gospel out there, right? Preaching how to build this stuff in a way that's scalable, sustainable, and does actually present an ROI that you can get to inside of a decade. Um, and I was really excited to find the opportunity to work with XCharge and get that done here in North America. I know uh, that's great. I appreciate that overview. Um, when you talk about some of the differences between kind of uh, starting Europe and maybe some of the lag that you're seeing here, that five to six years you talk about between here and North America, um, what are, can you give a couple examples of like, what are some of the things that you're still seeing as maybe, um, maybe misinformation is the wrong word, but just a lot of um, maybe inaccurate uh assumptions that people are kind of thinking about when they hear or think about uh, installing charging here in North America, at least. Yeah, Andrew, you want to take that yeah, one? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in with a couple of examples. I think the first most obvious example is that um, if I think I think a lot of folks think at a individual or a micro level and all the way to the other end of the spectrum at the macro level at a country or perhaps a state level as to how to uh, how do we deploy this, this infrastructure? On the micro level, what I see a lot of folks saying, or whether it's uh, through the different media outlets and face-to-face conversations, you know, and comment sections on some of these articles, for sure. a, a message <laughs> that comes up time and time again is like, folks tend to have, tend to be scared about, uh, or have some, some either a uh, combination of range anxiety and, and anxiety about where and when they can charge their their vehicles as an individual users on things like road trips on a day-to-day basis. They're scared about the, the, uh, the distribution of the, the system of the, of the equipment. And then in deploying it, they're concerned, there's concerns that they <clears throat> actually the building out of the infrastructure. So part one is they're scared to drive a, to kind of convert to electric as a whole. There's, there's some, there's some fear there. And then on the development side on the individual level, there's uh, there's fear that uh, there's it's going to be overly expensive, uh, difficult to do, and the local whether it's a utility company or power authority, the local provider isn't going to be able to support the transition in that specific area for for everybody that needs it. And then on the macro level, a lot of a lot of folks are also saying, well, there's no way we can get 285 million or 385 300 million drivers in the next three years to uh, transition fully. We, we don't have the capacity on the grid. We don't have the, the available resources to, to do so. This is a big task. So I think folks are really, uh, really nervous. There's a lot of stress about both ends of the spectrum, but you know, we have solutions, pretty simple solutions, to be honest, for both, both everything on the micro level, the macro level, and kind of everything in between. I can go through more of that as we go through our conversation today, but those are, I think those, those fears are, are certainly prevalent and those fears trickle and sort of, or expand out to uh, even on the com- commercial customers to grid operators. You know, there, there's certainly this fear about uh, this kind of equipment as being overly burdensome, difficult and expensive to deploy and, and maintain. 
I think some of no. those, those are some of the challenges we're running. Up <laughs> yeah, just a few. Nothing, nothing serious, right? Yeah. No, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I think one of the other things, maybe to take a step back, just for anyone listening who isn't familiar with XCharge, can you kind of give us just a quick overview? Um, because as far as I know, XCharge only um, has a majority of the focus is in DC fast charging. I believe there maybe Correct. has been some AC in the past, but yeah, um, just kind of give a quick product overview, uh, real briefly, just so for those who might be out driving, maybe they've plugged into an X charge charger and just didn't realize that's what it was. It's very possible. Um, right now, X charge does power uh, quite a bit of infrastructure, not only around North America but globally. Our product suite, we we make three you know major products we sell here in North America. Uh, globally, we do offer some other things based on use case, including you know level two or AC charging products, and the C two is what we call it. Um, we don't actively sell that here in North America. We're focused primarily on DC fast charging. Um, but what differenti differentiates, excuse me, XCharge from some of our competitors or some of the things that you've seen out there in the world is that our solutions are, like I talked about, very site-specific. Whereas if you happen to be a commercial developer or somebody who owns a piece of commercial property and you said, hey, I would like to get in on this Charge EV game, right? I, I would like to be able to turn my property into the refueling station of the future, if you will. Now, what you would typically do is you would contact someone, call it a charge point or any other EVSE manufacturer, and you would say, I would like to order two DC fast chargers. And they say, that's great. It'll cost you, you know, call it $150,000, and then the install might be another $100,000, and then you've got 18 months in lead time from the utility in order to get that done because you don't have 480 power coming to your site, right? You've got right. 208. Well, we manufacture a 208 solution as well as the 480 solution, so we get a little bit of the gambit of everybody. If you are that commercial property owner and you have a couple hundred amps of 208, we have a product called the C6AM, which is up to 200 kilowatts. You know, This is something that you can install on 208 volt infrastructure without any transformers, without any supporting equipment. This is not you know, a power cabinet and dispenser setup. It's an all-in-one contained unit that you can sit on a little concrete pad with minimal construction costs, and it charges two vehicles simultaneously. That is our most popular product. We've deployed that one, you know, more than 10,000 times globally. And that is something that uses what's called dynamic load balancing to determine the state of charge between the two vehicles and then prioritize the one with a lower state of charge so that everybody gets what they need and get back on the road. Now, the revolutionary thing about that charger, as I talked about, is it's a single point of connection, meaning that all you need is a little bit of conduit directly to the house panel on that property we're talking about, which doesn't require any significant infrastructure upgrades. That's the most popular way that people who are getting into the game today and aren't looking to build out these giant hubs of 20 or 30 stalls, that's the way you would do it. Whereas if you do want to get into the 20 or 30 stall game, we offer solutions that have battery integrated solutions. We offer 420 kilowatt, super high output chargers as well, you know, that can charge up to four vehicles at a time. It really just depends on, you know, the customer, the property, what's available there. But at XCharge, we typically, like we talk about, uh, we're solutions oriented. So you just say, hey, I have a property with X amount of power available. And we definitely make a solution to get you energized today versus 18 months from yeah, I really appreciate that context. Um, I think when you're talking about these sorts of solutions, and apologies if you can hear my dogs in the background right now. No problem. Um, <laughs> but uh, what do you see as, with this kind of focus, like, do you see a lot of, it, it sounds like it's usually kind of maybe a company that's trying to offer charging for its workers as a, kind of maybe like a benefit 
or are you going to see a pretty broad spectrum of customers? The reason I ask is on the most recent episode, we had um, uh, JT from Franklin's Charging, and he actually has two uh, charging locations in Arkansas, uh, where he has, I think, one that he's essentially set up to kind of be like modern convenience stores. Mm -hmm. And just with the kind of the examples you were talking about, it was interesting talking to him and kind of like some of the challenges he's obviously had to go through with setting this up and getting this going. Um, but I, yeah, I'd, I'd just be curious if you can share any more maybe about what you, if there's any kind of trends you're seeing with the people that are currently kind of looking at installing these, or has it been a pretty wide range of interest? Yeah, you know, I think there's definitely a trend. So my background, I come from the EPC world, which is engineering, procurement and construction, where, you know, my prior firm, we were doing the design, the engineering, the permitting, you know, obviously the procurement and construction of DC fast charging equipment for all the largest operators currently in North America, all the big names, which I won't list here, you can think of them, their logos are blue or green or red or yellow or whoever, you know, we were doing work to, to help install their solutions. And very often we would get on site and realize that it just wasn't feasible in any kind of reasonable amount of time frame for any reasonable amount of money. So what we get now and, and sort of what led to me joining XCharge is we see people who all think it's a good idea to put DC fast chargers at their commercial properties, at their shopping centers, at their business centers, at their, you know, a park and ride parking lots, but they don't quite understand power, right? So when they get on site and they say, okay, these six stalls, they look good. It's in the open. There's nothing around it. Let's turn those into charging locations. And they go and get a quote and they realize that getting 480 power there will be north of half a million dollars just to get started, right? And then people really, for some reason in North America, people are very fixated on return on investment, you know? For an institutional investor or somebody who's a developer, they're used to ROIs of three, four years before they get their money back and start seeing profit. In DC fast charging, it hasn't been that way. Um, it's typically been north of seven or eight or sometimes 12 years before you see a return on that first dollar you spent to, to build out this fast charging network because EV adoption isn't where it needs to be. And the most aggressive of cases, even including California, you're talking sub 10% of all vehicles, right? But once that number gets to 30 or 40%, it's a no-brainer and you make your money back extremely quickly, but it's a chicken or an egg kind of situation, right? How do you get to 30 or 40% you know, global adoption? You build the infrastructure. So those pioneers that are going out now and doing the research to figure out how to get it done are running into the power constraints, right? Are running into the grid issues that everybody talks about and that rhetoric, you know, kind of that Andrew was alluding to earlier. And what they do is they go and get these quotes, like I said, they're quoted a huge number, they look at the ROI and say, this is a bad business, right? And just objectively make that decision and kind of walk away from it. And we run into a lot of those folks who after running into our solutions and finding out you can do this on 208, or you can do it on limited 480 with a battery as an integrated solution, you know, they start to come back to that table and start to really rethink what this looks like. And they reset their expectations. Of, okay, maybe I won't make my money back in three years, right? But, you know, I can dramatically increase it from 12 down to four or five if I use some of these extra solutions, if I think about it, you know, uh, in a different way that has been historically thought about in North America. In Europe, most of the charging is handled by the utility companies. The overwhelming majority of the charging deployments are managed and handled by utility companies or very large energy services firms. Here in North America, it's almost like outside of Tesla, everybody does it as a business, right, to get a return right. on it. And it's very difficult to do that if you don't also control the power like you do in Europe. So you're going to need that interim solution that provides you with opportunities to deploy infrastructure now for dramatically less than the way that most people have been thinking about it here in North America. 
Gotcha. No, I mean, that, that totally makes sense. And it's funny you mentioned uh, the focus on ROI because that, that doesn't surprise me at all uh, right. for better or for worse, unfortunately. But um, I, I guess going back to JT's example of how he was kind of talking about um, the big thing, because you're right there, he saw the value in it, but it is a longer kind of time horizon. His focus was like, okay, I'm going to look at these sites and have multiple cash flows and have other things that can make me money right. more kind of upfront and quickly. And then that'll be a longer term thing, which totally makes sense. Um, one thing though, that kind of surprised me, but totally made sense was he was talking about with some of the uh, uh, vendors he was working with for the charging uh, uh, pedestals. Essentially he had the option to lease them. And that's what he thought sure. was a really attractive option. It kind of gave him some form of future proofing. At least that's what it sounded like in the agreement. Is that something that X charge currently offers or is that, um, something kind of out of your scope right now. Yeah, it is. You know, we, for us, it's just about getting the hardware in people's hands. You know, that's one of the benefits of being a larger organization globally, because we have, you know, the ability to provide these flexible solutions. We really have three ways of transacting. Currently, if you've decided you have a right, the right property, you would bring it to us. You would say, I would like, you know, two to four stalls of DC fast charging. How do I get that done? Either Andrew or I, or some of the other folks on the business development team would sit down over a call with you and review what you have review what you've looked into, you know, what's important to you on your wish list, and then we decide, okay, two C6s make sense here. How would you like to pay for that? That would be, you know, X amount of dollars. Do you want to pay up front for that? And they're saying, okay, well, I'm pretty capital constrained. So, you know, what other options do you have? We do provide leasing, right? Well, we'll come and bring the infrastructure. We'll bring the improvements. We'll handle the utility portion of it and get you energized. And then you kind of pay per kilowatt hour that's distributed. And then you take a margin in the middle. Or we provide what's called charging as a service. Whereas if you're a fleet customer and you have a, an immediate need, say you're an Amazon last mile logistics company, relatively small, but you've just started up in Wyoming and you need to get your new Rivian delivery vans powered up so that you can take them out to your customers. So at your depot, we would come and evaluate where we would put the chargers and how many vehicles you've got. And then we'll come and just bring the infrastructure. And then we work out a per month payment that you would make on the infrastructure for a period of time. And at the end of that contract, if you choose to buy the infrastructure and just own it outright, we'll give you a buyout number at the end of that. And that's very simple. Now, if you're a public commercial parking lot, say you're a mall or something, and you want to just provide it as an amenity to your customers, you can bring us the property and then in most cases, we'll lease that property from you, pay you a fixed amount per month per stall, and then we will bring all the infrastructure and you still get to provide that to your customers as well, right? So if you do have the right property and you're forward thinking about how to charge vehicles in the future, there is always a way to work with XCharge. Gotcha. Now that, that's, uh, that's interesting. That's great to hear because I think one of the areas where there's a lot of opportunity is definitely in the fleet charging. And that's, I think that's something I'd be kind of curious to talk with you a little bit more about here in a second, but um, sure. not to go down too much of a rabbit hole, since you brought up uh, your previous background and you were just talking about like installing charging in large parking lots. Um, one thing that I have always been a big proponent of, and I've just quite not understood why it hasn't taken off more is um installing essentially charging arrays in parking lots with having kind of the coverage solar and then doing that in conjunction with uh, charging systems. I realize it's probably not going to be a one-to-one -one, and it is more expensive to usually get those installed in uh, the actual infrastructure for the kind of the solar awnings and the canopies in these uh, parking garage or yeah. uh, parking structures. But it, it's still to me, um, it's just fascinating that that hasn't taken off more just because of how 
close it is to the actual load that's being consumed versus like putting a solar installation further out. I realize there are extra costs with that and some savings here and there, but it just seems like that is such a great opportunity to have the energy being generated going right or converted right into the cars and or the actual main thing using so much of this energy. Is that, I just had a curiosity if you could share it, is that same, something you're seeing more interest in or is that still just kind of too uh, cost prohibitive? Well, Andrew happens to be yeah. an expert in that I'll, territory. Uh, I'll <laughs> jump right in here. All right, so great, great uh, tee off here. Appreciate that. This is something near and dear to my heart as well. Um, so when it comes to photovoltaic, we'll call it integrated DC fast charger stations, uh, any kind of commercial properties with photovoltaic infrastructure, <clears throat> there's a few, a few use cases and a few customer exa examples where it's a no brainer or, or it's yeah. a really smart idea. Generally speaking, of course, there's going to be nuances here and there, but generally speaking, it's a very good idea in a, a certain number of applications. Um, the typical applications where, where I think this makes a lot of sense, where you'll, you'll see it makes a lot of sense and sense in this case means there's enough power to make an impact on the either charging or the, or the energy consumed on site to make an actual measurable right. impact on what you use, what you need on site. That's, that's the way it makes sense in one, one sense. And then financially, uh, it makes sense in another way. And there's a number of ways to, for the financials to make sense, um, Generally speaking, when you're looking at certain types of parking lots, if the parking lot is perhaps owned by a single business, like it's a business center, or perhaps it's part of a school or a fleet owned by a single entity and owned and operated by a single entity for, for that purpose, like a high school parking lot, absolutely a solar, a solar canopy with their uh, EV charging infrastructure is a great kind of symbiotic project to do it. It's a great, it's a great option when you have a kind of on the flip side, a shopping center owned perhaps by multiple state or at least yeah. by various property, uh, you know, various different users, perhaps there's various businesses might be owned at the high level by the, by a single operator or single commercial property owner, but each, each business is separately owned. Perhaps there's a bunch of franchises on there. Um, the infrastructure, has to be tied to something kind of commonly used or owned by the the owner. It's a lot more challenging to, if you want to call it, divide up the value of that solar and charging infrastructure and assign that to twenty five different businesses. Right, right. So that's a big challenge. Now, it doesn't mean there's there aren't there aren't examples where that does work, but that's a, it's a little more complicated. You see less of that happening. On the again, when you have it at a school or a business where it's owned, where the business owns the entire parking lot, the entire building, or they're leasing it for say 25 years, a long term lease, that kind of investment makes a lot more sense for that business. They're getting that return. Um, the economics of photovoltaics differ from state to state, so that does have a factor in it as well. Um, but you're, I think, just at a high level, there is a really good sim symbiotic relationship between the two. You generate power on site, you can. If you can divert as much of that power to the vehicles that need it when they need it during the daytime, that's the most one of the most cost-effective ways to do it, especially over the long term. Uh, and just a typical lifespan to give you an idea, if you invest in a solar photovoltaic array, the expectation is for that equipment to be up there to to be productive for twenty plus years. So theoretically, that could be 
more than one DC fast charger, you know, generation one, right. one or two installations of DC fast charging equipment could be connected to that solar system. So it's a case by case basis. You want to pick, you know, you know, the right locations for it, but you're absolutely right. There, there's a good relationship between the two. We're testing it ourselves. We're excited to see how it works. Um, again, I think the other factor is, is available space. Do you have enough parking lot space to produce enough power right. for it to be worth it? Sure. The, the actual construction of those shade structures or carports, you know, there's, there's a cost associated with that. You have to get to a certain production level to offset or to make that kind of investment worth it. But should you have rooftop space available, that's a good solution too. Uh, it doesn't have the same optics as a, a right. nice, beautiful yeah. shade array yeah, or yeah. Carpo carport, but it might be a more cost-effective way of still getting that benefit, uh, especially when you have maybe a more constrained parking lot or shade threats, or you don't have the right kind of layout in the parking lot, but you still have a great rooftop, maybe you have a big building. There's different ways to do it. So, yep, yeah. your, head's, your head's in the right place. Yeah, and I, I, I would just appreciate to add that. Into that. Oh, you know? go for it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. to add a little color, when he's talking about the amount of space you need, just, you know, using round numbers, say, take a typical Electrify America install, for example, where you've got four stalls of 150 to 350 kilowatt DC fast chargers, even just to get a 60 kilowatt solar system in place, right, which is which is not a ton of power, which wouldn't, you know, on its own power even half of one of those units, you're talking, you know, almost 300 square meters of space to get that done. By the time you do the conversions and get that run to some batteries, you know, 4,000 square feet worth of space of right. solar system in order to power half of one of those units, right? So the only way that solar really makes a ton of sense in, in a commercial ultra high power charging circumstance would be to use batteries as, as like an arbitrage device in between, you know, the solar to the DC battery or, or converting that from, uh, I'm sorry, from AC to DC through the battery and the charger itself so that it's more efficient, you know, and that's one of the things that our net zero series, the NZS, the battery integrated charger that we um, manufacture does do. It is fully compatible with a 60 kilowatt solar system. But I think people underestimate the amount of, of surface area required sure. to get a 60 kilowatt solar system up and running. And even then, we're talking, you know, one fifth of the power demanded at any one time is going to be generated through solar. And the rest of it is going to come from the grid anyway. So you're going to have to store that somewhere and then utilize I, it all at once. <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree. And I think I I don't know. I always realize this is a little bit of a pipe dream. I was... Um... And this admittedly was a decade ago, maybe even longer now, but I, I actually was working with a lot of commercial solar uh, companies. And back then, if you're like talking about something like, oh, it's four to three dollars a watt, that was like really yeah. cheap. And so <laughs> to see how much it's come down, um, I, I can almost like it's like it's got a pencil out. And then even just recently, and I realized this is definitely on the um, kind of far farther side of the what makes sense for this kind of use case spectrum. I was just down in Arizona over Thanksgiving and everywhere you go, uh, there are so many carports that are installed yeah. over the parking lots in general, sure. just to give the car shade. Sure. Um, and you see this in Southern California, uh, of course, too. And I felt a little better because when I was down most recently, I did drive around and see a couple of these that were being installed that did have solar on them. But um, I, and I, and you're totally right. I, I, I uh, can't argue with the physics of it as far as like surface area to what one of these charges uses at uh, one time, obviously the, the most uh, efficient use of that is going to be a battery versus the solar. But um, I, I, 
it, it, there's still part of me that just like, this has got to work somehow. But you, right. you, uh, I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up around uh, and totally makes sense where it's a pretty clear answer when you have one entity that owns the building and owns the parking lot. Uh, the instant you start getting into things where it's multiple entities or right. the main entity is leasing the building. Yeah. I, Third party I charge point operator in the parking lot, right? That only has consent to operate the stalls. Typically when right. charging companies would approach these large centers, they're saying we're minimally invasive, just these six yeah. stalls and the power cabinets, right? So when you start a serious construction project and put in a carport that didn't exist beforehand, that's 4,000 square feet, right? And then you're talking right. about the integration of the batteries and based on the jurisdiction and the fire code, the batteries can't be directly next to the vehicles that are charging. So that's another portion of the property you've got to take up with an entitlement it's not always as clean and easy as people would like it to be we wish it right. was you know we're actually trialing a project now in northern california where we are using the roof of a, of a convenience store for some solar as well as you know using the parking lot for dc fast charging and then we're using our battery system to integrate in between that and truly be Perfect. off grid you know our net zero series does form a grid um with its capabilities on the battery so the battery itself like i mentioned is bi-directional and can back up the building can take in the solar input doesn't actually need a grid connection at all to still provide a 200 kilowatt output charge that's really cool technology and where it makes sense is in these places where they are very grid constrained and places like using vegas as an example you know i just don't think you'll see a whole lot of solar battery dc fast charging integration when places in vegas um, they typically have more solar energy than the rest of the world you know right, uh, in most right. cases so they they're not hammering for for you to install more of it so that you can peak shave they'll just give you the energy and it's it's quicker and more efficient to take it from the utility directly there interesting and now um i guess just a clarification for people listening and even myself when you say these systems have batteries, is the battery a separate unit or is it part of the chargers or in some of these, do you do both? Good question. Um, it's built into the charger for our Net Zero series. Um, all okay. of our units are capable of functioning with batteries, you know, and they are all of them are bi-directional. Um, but our Net Zero series is an all-in-one unit with a single point of connection to the battery. And what's really cool about that is to install, a, say, our Net Zero series Gen 3 is a 300 output charger, simultaneous charging between the two ports. To get a 300 kilowatt output charger, you typically need between four and 500 amps of 483 phase. Just to put that in context, no yeah. property has an open 500 amps now, maybe an airport, right? Or some large distribution of- a Manufacturing well, facility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 the yeah. parking lot of Avon's definitely doesn't yeah, yeah. have it, right? So in order to get that done, you would need a significant power upgrade. Whereas we can deliver that on as little as 80 amps of 483 phase because we use the battery on a much smaller grid connection, loads the battery up during off peak times, which is also the cheapest time to buy energy, right? Between midnight right. and 6 a.m. So you've stored the battery full of energy during off peak. And then during peak times, you're able to sell it to vehicles, you know, for whatever the market rate of a per kilowatt hour charge is, as well as participate in some of the open markets, which we're doing currently in California, Texas, and New York, in these deregulated energy markets, which I'll kick over to Andrew to provide some more context. But say you buy the energy at a certain number, and then there's a demand event, you know, we sign up for what's called demand response, where the utility says, oh, we're, you know, at risk of a blackout or a brownout, you know, what energy resources in that area do we have that we can pull from? Our net zero series chargers are registered as resources to do that. And the utility can take a couple of hundred, you know, kilowatt hours, maybe a megawatt hour if we have several on site 
and they'll buy that energy back from us, you know, at a little more than we paid for it overnight to store it. And not only did we make money without having to charge any vehicles or really doing anything at all, but we were able to support the local grid and provide a service to the utility companies, you know, and that's primarily some of the stuff that Andrew's working on. So I'll kick it over to him to provide some more context as to what that really looks like on the ground. Yeah, thanks, Lou. Uh, yeah, it's a really exciting area. I, I referenced a couple times about the anxiety around uh, straining the grid. What can we do to to make to, to deploy this this equipment more efficiently, faster, more effectively? And I think this really gets to the, the heart of that that uh, those topics. <clears throat> we have um, enough generation in the United States to convert every single driver to electric and still have seventy five percent of our annual capacity available so there is enough power generated yeah. today to yeah. make every vehicle in the country and we're talking uh just regular everyday drivers to delivery vehicles everything in between so we can convert the entire entire driving community in the united states to electric pretty pretty simply we just have to the demand and the supply they're not always in sync with one another so the battery <laughs> component here is an essential and literally an essential component uh, is an essential part of the equation where you as the TC fast charger owner or property owner, you get to start participating in managing these resources and you get compensated for, for managing that. A couple of examples, Lou referenced a few, are you get to offset the cost of your energy that you, you pull from the grid or that you need to supply to the vehicles. So you get to offset some of those costs by choosing when in the day electricity is less expensive. And that also works throughout the year that might fluctuate different times of year, depending helps on that the... ROI we were talking about. Exactly. Right? Sure. So you For can sure. massage down that number that also helps you with demand charges. Um, we could probably spend a whole a nice whole oh, hour on, on various utility, just reading a utility bill together, but I'm not going to do yeah. that today. <laughs> we can we could perhaps pencil some of those topics for another time. But the demand charge is something that all commercial property owners have to pay one way or the other. And it's calculated on their potential energy uses, regardless of their actual usage. So they may have a peak usage event uh, certain days per month. Maybe they're a manufacturer, for example, and they have a manufacturing process that's very energy intensive, but it only happens, say, once a month. Uh, they're going to be charged an incredible, an incredibly high demand charge to, to supply or potentially supply that building with enough energy. This kind of a product, when you add DC fast charging, you're gonna spend you're you're gonna spend a little bit more money on your you know your utility bill. Your electric usage is gonna go up because you're supplying quite a large amount of electricity to vehicles. We can help you manage those demand charges, which which again are pretty significant. They could also be sometimes four or five times the cost of the energy you actually buy. So right. we can help you manage that demand charge by choosing when you charge and how you charge, how often and how long you charge your, your system. Charging up that battery helps you do that, helps you manage that. So we can manage that energy flow appropriately and as efficiently as possible. So minimize those charges. You can use the battery, again, to supply power to the vehicles. And it also works like any traditional backup power source too for your, you know, to, to power your local loads. loads. So if you have any loads you'd like to back up, you have that backup power available. And then in the bigger picture, if there are customers, rate payers in the geographic area near you, I'll regulate that needs your that need supply or need electricity. Well, the traditional method is to 
divert energy available to those those properties or turn on a power plant instead of turning on expensive power plants utilities are getting smart op grid operators are smart and they're able to find and use resources in that general area signal a uh, signal an event tell you hey uh, x charge property a we have a demand for your energy we'd like to pay you this price do you accept so you get to start participating in this automatically now we're going to set this up so this happens automatically for the, the property owner you don't have to be an engaged energy trader or anything like that but you uh, it's an exciting time an exciting place for us to really work in tandem with the grid operators so while this is a dc fast charger while we're charging cars you're also able to support your neighbors support the communities around you and help them with the the energy that they need so it's really a, a very holistic look at how we operate with the grid a couple of examples just to get kind of down to ground level a couple of examples of ways you can monetize that is a demand response program is one of those one of a california new york new england texas a variety of states also have a lot of other wholesale energy trading options we essentially we can help you enroll in what's called a virtual power plant we can show you how to do this yourselves if you don't want to go that route but we want to make it as simple as possible so you, you plug into the grid you plug into these different revenue streams you start supporting the grid um, we've seen this uh, to be sig a, a significantly beneficial uh, to the roi on your under project as well and this could shave off you know one or more years certainly add thousands and annual revenue and definitely increase that to irr quite quite significantly so yeah we're really excited that all these various operators are looking at the challenges of the grid holistically and seeing us as, as a participant rather than just a user or uh you know we're, we're not just part of the demand equation is, is really the the uh the look here so yeah I, I think that hits on like a lot of really interesting different topics actually and kind of bringing all those together but especially with uh demand charges i think that's yeah. something that probably doesn't get the full understanding or kind of uh, full appreciation for actually how important and how big of a deal that is for a lot of these operators and the sites that they're going into and how much of a big cost that is sometimes to do these upgrades, but then working with someone who can kind of have that strategy of how to proactively mitigate it. And even, especially in kind of like the case, like you're saying, like a manufacturing or larger, uh, uh, site, you can actually then use this uh, hardware and technology to kind of help bring those costs down and kind of look at it in a much more holistic and ideally help accelerate those savings, whether they're making money on the charging or not at that point. Um, right, because it, it, it is shocking to me how expensive those demand charges can be for these companies. Um, I, I think this is also an interesting thing because we talk about, I mean, to do all this, it requires software. And I would be really interested to hear kind of maybe some of the back-end technology. I, actually, there's uh, two things real quickly. One, um, you said the battery is a part of the charger. What What is the actual size of the battery in the charger? Yeah. It's a 233 kilowatt hours per okay. battery pack. So you, you can uh, design, our system is comprised of a single or dual battery configuration. So 233, 466. Oh, wow. So almost either a quarter or almost a half megawatt hour of power yeah, just exactly. in the charger. Wow. That, that is actually, uh, that's impressive. That's larger than I thought. Yeah. So that's, that's it, awesome. That makes sense for those use cases. Um, but then, yeah, exciting. I guess, yeah. Going to the second part of that then would be, um, 
Well, I guess one other question. So is there a limit in theory to like what size you could put these together? So like, can you, does it, can you do four of them and get close to like a megawatt hour or can you, let's say you are some like a aluminum smelter or something sure. and you want to get like 10 or 20 of these things to mitigate those demand charges. Is there a limit with uh, X charges uh, hardware? Not, not the, on the hardware side. I want to point out uh, just to set some clear expectations if any potential customers might be listening or folks who know customers, the hardware operates independently of itself right now. We have software so you can control a whole station very, mm -hmm. you can organically and holistically, and those are kind of general terms and I'll explain what they mean, uh, control your whole charging station. So you could have a view where you look at all of the chargers that might be say, as you mentioned, five of these net zero series on a single site. You can control that with our backend software virtually or on site uh, individually, but you can control the whole plant virtually. I do want to be careful to point out though that they, the systems aren't really uh, digitally talking to each other in a, in a significant way at this point. Um, if there is interest in some, in, I would say, advanced communication between these devices, we'd want to evaluate what those needs are. If we can't do it with our existing software, where there are third parties that we can work with to coordinate, gotcha. you know, the usage of those assets. But generally speaking, for for most applications, for most use, you know, use cases, especially large commercial energy storage use cases, we can design the, um, we can tweak the software that we have right now to to be to give you enough control to get you know maximum benefit out of it. Um, but if they're expecting it to be as truly seamless as one one megawatt hour battery, it'll behave slightly different. Like you'll have to really think about it as five individual systems operating together. Um, just to be clear, you 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 wouldn't want to connect these, or you wouldn't connect these all kind of string them all together in one system to make one giant battery integrated DC fast charger system. But that doesn't yeah. mean you're, you're still at a, at, a, at a site where you have, we'll say a megawatt hour or a megawatt of usage, or, uh, you know, you might want to back up a megawatt load. You have the ability to, to actually, to get pretty close to that, you know, pretty darn close to that, um, you know, a little bit, a little bit of uh, planning, some, some participate, you know, some, some management of the software, you'll be able to effectively manage your, you know, your loads pretty well and still use a DC fast charger, you know, to your heart's content. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that clarification because realistically that is a pretty extreme use case. Yeah. <laughs> you need a megawatt hour of power, just like, yeah, I'm going to use that right now. Yeah. Um, but that, that is, uh, I mean, even when you're talking about like two thirty three kilowatt hours, like you were saying earlier, I think, and that's still, I mean, that's essentially like two Model S or uh, pretty large battery packs, even a car just right there at any time. So that, that totally makes sense with, um, I guess, just out of curiosity, are you able to share what kind of chemistry that those use? Is that like an LFP sort of? It or? is LFP. Yep. You got it. Okay. Nailed it. Good guess. Yep. Lithium ion LFP chemistry. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. The reason no, that, we that use the LFP is it's much safer. Um, yeah. You know, from an installation from public facing perspective, mm -hmm. we very much so use LFP to limit thermal runaway, right? So if you do have a bad cell, it doesn't, you know, kind Fair. of spiral out of control and turn into a thermal event. That does happen with other kind of battery technologies, and it doesn't with, with ours, right? So that's something that we're very cognizant of, you know, and I think in addition to it being, you know, safer, 
they retain their you know usefulness over life yeah. um, over the time of, of deployment much better you know one of the use cases i was talking with a customer about the other day and you know a lot of the things we hear from pushback on battery and charging is oh well what happens in a power outage and i won't be able to charge my car and i'm like you are aware that in an outage you can't get gas either Right. Like that's right, not a, right. you will not be able to go to a gas station and swipe your card and start distributing gallons. The whole thing will be dark. So what we've done at one of our, our you know, what we call our flagship locations is we're installing the net zero series, you know, bi-directionally at a gas station so that when there is a blackout, the only way people will be able to get gas is because of our DC fast charger on site. Right. And that's kind of a fun little way to, to show the naysayers really what this means in practicality. It's grid forming up to 120 kilowatt. Right. So that means that, you know, any load on that same circuit up to 120 kilowatt, which a gas station is far below, you know, right. is going to be very reliable coming out of our units. And, you know, that's the only way that any vehicle is getting recharged or refueled in a blackout is through a battery integrated bi-directional solution. And if it had solar, even better. No, I'm just messing. But yeah, no, uh, I, yeah. I, I totally, I totally get it's what true. you're saying. And the LFP <laughs> makes sense just because uh, there's really no concern about weight penalty at that point. Right. Um, no, and I think that that's something we're seeing with a lot of grid-tied batteries. It makes sense. And I, I think you're totally right. That is a really common and interesting um, misperception, understandably, that sure. a lot of people have about uh, fuel pumps. Because I, I think I remember, what was it like? The reason they're called pump, I mean, technically, they're still pumping fuel, uh, fuel, yes. But it was like back in the 50s and maybe even as late as the 60s, like some of them yeah. were even hand pumped. Yep. especially mm -hmm. i think for like the old diesel ones and that's kind of how sure, that absolutely kind of came from that but, i haven't seen one in a long time yeah yeah I, I don't think i've ever it. seen one <laughs> um but that's i believe why the name has that and like that would be like the only circumstance and i doubt any of those are still around today that that would work uh right yeah exactly movies maybe yeah right but everybody thinks it a just very makes very sense. old movie <laughs> right um yeah, yeah. So no, I this this has been great, but I, I think we have kind of talked about a little bit. So I, I would be kind of interested in getting uh, more of an overview of just what the software that uh, X Charge has, and as a driver or maybe just or, let's say a civilian or just a regular person mm -hmm. might, how would they experience or see the software? They would they be in their car and they could see that there's. They, would they get live data from one of these chargers maybe to say that it's available or just maybe uh, if you could just share kind of an overview yeah. of what, what the, the software does like. yeah. exactly exactly sure so i mean there's a couple of different viewpoints you see depending on which side of the equation you're on if you happen to be the site host or the property owner you get a, an included dashboard we don't charge for our software like a lot of other companies do there's no subscription fee no ongoing payment or anything like that we feel that it's an integral part of just being able to operate the equipment right so we include it at sale and that's for life you know a license to use the software for life if you're the site host, you get all the data that you want. If you're using the battery integrated solutions, you get five different energy management modes. And that goes from eco mode, meaning that you want to only charge the battery at the most efficient times overnight or in the wee early hours of the morning. You get max mode, which is make sure the battery is topped up all the time. You get a mix, you know, something 50-50 in the middle. You get solar only and you get grid only, right? So you have the flexibility to determine what the input on your battery is going to be, which helps you dramatically change the ROI on how effective it is to charging vehicles. You can even limit the output current 
if your battery is at 20% and you only want to charge cars at 150 kilowatt versus 300 kilowatt, right? Still a decent fast charge for folks, but if the battery is still recharging, you don't want to dump all of it, you know, at that time into a vehicle. And another great thing about our units, which is, you know, industry leading is once our battery is empty, it's a direct pass through to our grid connection, which will still give you up to 120 kilowatt output charge. Um, if you're a, a driver and you pull up to an X-Charge station, it couldn't be easier to determine, you know, what station you should plug into. We have three different battery indicator lights from here's the state of charge of the battery itself. Here's the state of charge of the vehicle that's currently plugged in at the right port and how fast they're charging. And then the left port's available where you could plug in and here's how much energy is available for you, right? And you can make that decision on the fly through, you know, three different methods. Like I said, the indicator lights. There's a you know 33 inch LCD display that'll have vehicle and charger and battery information up front, and there's also a 13 inch display down below where you would select select your connector that'll tell you very specific information. Once you plug in, you know here's how much energy we can give you for how long until that other car reaches full, and once that car is full, we'll redirect all of it back to you, and then you'll finish your charging session as well. So, like I said, it, it definitely varies depending on which side of the fence you're on, being the site host or the user of the charging right. station. Um, but we find it very important to be transparent with people about what is available how quickly can you charge and, and and really which unit should you pick if you pulled up to a unit that had a red battery indicator light meaning it's currently recharging you're not going to be that fast go two stalls over and you've got one that's full you know that sort of thing gotcha no that 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 all makes sense and that's really helpful and it's always good to kind of see the balance between the software and then also the physical hardware that kind of simplifies sometimes for yes someone who might not know otherwise um at a glance. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. With, with uh, that and kind of what your team is kind of looking at and hearing, are there any interesting trends that you're kind of seeing as far as like the growth and kind of like where you see maybe the industry going over the next five years? You know, I think we've seen a whole lot of use cases, a whole lot of businesses come out and say, here's how we're going to do charging. A little bit of everything is required. I am in the camp that every single parking lot needs charging infrastructure, because if every lot has charging infrastructure, you'll never find yourself in a place where you need it and don't have it, right? I mean, right. currently, I can't name a highway you know, exit currently in California where you don't have four options for gas stations, let alone right. one. You know, So I, I very much feel that something similar is going to happen for EVs, especially as the charge times decrease from a 40-minute average session down to 20 or 15 or... Who knows, depending on the state of batteries and solid state, it could be down to a 10 minute charging session with just enough time for you to you know, stretch your legs, use the bathroom, and then your car's done. So I think, you know, the trend we're seeing right now is that it's shifting away a little bit from, you know, large charge point operators just deploying in random empty parking lots and instead moving to what we call a destination charging model, meaning looking at, you know, streetlight data, looking at telematics, looking at all the information you've got to figure out where are these cars registered and where do they typically go every day and try and capture that business somewhere in the middle, right? That's the most intelligent way to go about this or capture them at their end resort or end destination, excuse me. Um, where it'll be a little bit easier to have that vehicle charging on AC or level two, right? There is an extremely right. important use case in this industry for level two charging. Um, X-Charge supports all forms of, of EV charging initiatives. And even if we don't sell L2 here in the United States, um, we got our start on AC globally. So we understand how important it can be. But I think that right now, the most important thing to help adoption would be providing DC fast charging, not only so that people can use it all the time, but just so that it provides the peace of mind that gives consumers the amount of confidence they need to go out and spend thirty, forty, fifty thousand right. $50,000 on these vehicles and not in the back of their mind be worrying about range anxiety, which is currently what's going on.
Yeah, I, I, I'd like to oh. jump in with another yeah. tidbit there. Um, on the what, what we're definitely seeing, there's a lot of signals being generated. We're seeing a lot of these signals being created, and they're created from from the organizations. A lot of these could be on the public side, like government organizations, institutions are directly supporting the adoption of infrastructure and vehicles. So you'll see in almost every state, some type of EV program or programs. And that could be a combination of uh, a rebate for buying a home charger, uh, a small rebate for a vehicle, a much, of course, there's a federal rebates and tax credits available. Um, a, a variety of special uh, rate plans to support or to lower the cost of charging a vehicle at home or your business. Um, you'll see a variety of RFPs on a quarterly basis created by utility companies, governments, municipal organizations, et cetera, to support the, the build out of this infrastructure and or the adoption of these kinds of vehicles or electrifying your fleet. So you're seeing a lot of these these things happening. So the dollars are there. It's and now they're right. being they're being partitioned, divided up, measured how they're used properly, and then uh, the cons and consumers or buyers are are starting to take advantage of these. That's just starting to take off. So we're really excited to see, you know, these public dollars becoming used and and designed and and put into subsidies in, in a useful way. So I think over the next couple of years we're going to see uh, these different kinds of programs be much more um, much more organized. We're going to go through versions of these, iterations of these, and we're going to see a, a pretty big consolidation as well on the kind of on the business side. But that's a, another topic for another day. I know we're about out of time. But yeah, I think the on the, the public benefit, the dollars are here now. Let's take advantage of them over the next couple of years uh, to really help with that ad adoption. It, it takes the some of the pain out of of making those those transitions as an individual. So they're there. Let's let's use them wisely. Yeah, that that's a great call, and that's interesting because we've had a couple other guests um, on that we kind of get into the incentive discussion, and we had Lauren McDonald from uh, EV Adoption. Yeah. He was talking about especially around kind of NEVI funding, yeah, and the pros and cons of it. Where he thinks in some ways it's kind of slowed down the uh, rollout of DC fast charging to mm -hmm. some extent because so many of these uh, uh, entities are kind of waiting for the money sure. to try and get the right. set approved, which. Makes sense. I mean, if you can save uh, some money on a very expensive insulation, it'd be a hard argument not to. But I, I was just curious if you've been working with any, um, whether large scale or even just kind of smaller operators that have been looking at trying to get approval to use your hardware for NEVI funds, if there's been any yeah. kind of interesting insights that your team has had. We definitely have. Um, and the good thing is that XCharge currently has an every product um, that's compliant in the C6 that is currently waiver compliant and then will be fully compliant by the end of Q2 of this upcoming year um, for any future NEVI rollouts. I think Lauren is an extremely sharp guy. Um, I, I follow yeah. him on LinkedIn and a lot of the things that he talks about, I, I couldn't like it more than once, right? Like if I could, I would. Um, and I think he's dead on the money when we talk about some of these incentive programs doing more harm than good for the immediate adoption of electric vehicles now. Because at the beginning of this show, we talked a little bit about how most of the operators in the space are focused on ROI. There are some exceptions to that. There are the EVGOs, the Electrify Americas, the Teslas of the world. And no mm -hmm. surprise, those are the dominant networks in the country today, right? But everybody else is looking at it like a traditional investor. I don't think right. people truly understand how little money that the oil and gas companies make on oil and gas, right? It's the, the Twinkies and Coke model that we use. Yeah. 
that's what they want to sell. They want to sell convenience inside the store more than they do gallons of gasoline. And I think that there are other ways to monetize EV charging at this moment. And looking at it on a three or a four year ROI is not the best way to do it. But government funding instantly gets you back in that territory where you can get your money back in two or three years. And that distracts a whole lot of people, a whole lot of sharp people with really talented ideas, with really good properties. And what's really, you know, unfortunate is, you know, I've worked with a lot of our customers and a lot of people that have submitted some dynamite properties and some great locations, you know, saying, oh, I've got 15 of what are going to be ideal EV charging sites that they submit in Ohio, for example, and then they win zero. And that's really right. disheartening. And it almost convinces this operator to just kind of leave the state of Ohio alone because EV adoption is too low. Whereas if it was more transparent how to win this funding, if it was more widely available instead of giving all of it to one or two or three entities, you know, or in some cases giving the money to the utility companies directly, that sort of thing almost disincentivizes private investment in the space, which only drives us away from everybody's mutual goal of as much charging as humanly possible everywhere, which helps adoption, you know, but when you put these extremely competitive federal programs in place, and then you limit the amount of people that can actually win these dollars, everybody's kind of waiting and, and, and trying to see, is it even possible? Is this a good idea? Or should I just not bother? You know, and that's unfortunate for the industry. But I do think that like Andrew talked about over time, you know, these entities will get more intelligent about the way they distribute the funds. And then the companies that are looking to use them will be more intelligent about where it does and doesn't make sense. If you've got a great charging location, government funding or not, you should be building chargers on that location. And, you know, and I'll, I'll just quickly plug us and say, if you have a good location and don't have the funds for it, call me. We'll figure that part <laughs> out. <laughs> yep. I will absolutely echo exactly what Lou said. Those entities will become smarter. We want to be we will always do our uh, everything we can to inform, you know, the government institutions, et cetera, about how to design their programs a little better. So more, so it gets more effective, you know, they're measured on how well those programs are used. If they're not used well, they're going to discontinue a, a rebate yeah. or an incentive and move on to something else. So we do regularly work with different lobbying groups, different industry and trade groups to, to try to share our recommendations, our, our customer feedback, market feedback. Um, but regardless of what happens, I say at the federal or state or local level on the subsidy side, there is no there's no reason to delay a project in hopes of getting a small incentive. There's a variety of other revenue streams outside of just the charging revenue, which could still be astronomical. Outside right. of that revenue, there, there's a variety of other revenue streams on site and uh, in regionally with we want to get into say energy trading. There's a variety of revenue streams we can tap you into today rather than waiting a few years rather than rating a few years for that extensive infrastructure upgrade you were hoping for. We can get you started early on and we can work with you on a, a holistic, you know, 10 year strategy. If you want to design something now planned for some expansions or changes in the future, you know, we're here, we're not just a hardware provider. We want to be a, an actual partner with our customers going forward. And that's the way we look at things. No, and I, I, I think that's uh, kind of really well encapsulates the state of the, where those things are and what you, your team can do for it. Um, I, I realize we are kind of getting to the end of the hour or so. So I, I am curious, something I ask all of the guests that come on here is um, if there's any innovative ways that they see that either public industry or government or maybe a hybrid of both can accelerate the rollout of kind of EV and uh, EV charging technology, what you think that that would look like? Oh, Chase, that's a great question. Um, 
especially coming from my background as an EPC and submitting numerous amounts of applications and then waiting months for the city planner to look at them. You know, I think that there are some states that are better at it than others. California, for example, has an assembly bill that puts effectively a shot clock on all applications from a zoning and permitting perspective that says, hey, if we receive your application and it isn't, you know, either denied or have comments on it inside of 30 days, it's automatically deemed approved. That's a mm. godsend. That's wonderful, right? Four weeks, even yeah. though it, it's crazy that it may take four weeks to look at a one-line diagram and a couple of stalls in a parking lot of an existing infrastructure uh, build, I can live with four weeks. What I can't live with is some of the timelines we get in some parts of the world, which are, you know, between 12 and 16 and 24 weeks, or even, you know, if the government really wanted to speed this process up, rather than, you know, blindly firing cash into the industry, why not work more closely with, you know, the transformer companies, right? And and the utilities directly to bring down these 60, lead, 60 week lead times on 2,500 yeah. KVA transformers, which again, these are going to have to be everywhere. We know that it's not a, it's not a, Oh, can we get this stuff installed and wait for a transformer later? What's the point in doing that? You know, I mean, how far could several billion dollars go for the sheet metal and transportation industry surrounding, you know, the components that make up these transformers and switch gear, for example, those are the two longest lead times we currently have in the industry outside of permitting. So if I could submit an application, which we currently do for some of our projects, let's use San Diego as an example, Every project that we have signed up in the last three months in San Diego won't get built till 2025. That is through no wow. fault of our own. We we can't get power from the utility. They don't have the transformers and the switch gear. So all we can do is kind of sit and wait and hope, you know, and I think that's the portion that if I was going to stand on a mountaintop and scream for government intervention, there it is right there. I would absolutely echo that. <laughs> if you recall during the, the pandemic and right after the, uh, uh, the world started to open up again, there was a significant constraint on microchips, various kinds of microprocessors. Uh, the President Biden, uh, to his credit, took steps to try to work with those different manufacturers globally and creating a plan to allocate, you know, to, to ease some of the, the challenges in the supply chain. Now, I'm not an expert on how all that went, but we would love to see, we, we're asking the federal government and the state and local governments certainly to, to work with them in coordinating something that, that supports you know the, the allocation the development of these these kinds of components these kinds of these kinds of resources for our industry we know that the grid has to go through various upgrades all over the country for lots of reasons not just for us so this isn't just this is this kind of effort you know supporting the you know allocating these kinds of you know materials the components that go into transformers and switch gear uh, isn't just beneficial to EV charging. Uh, it's right. beneficial, beneficial to every single industry in the United States. And uh, we need a robust electrical grid. We're we're working to that. That's a priority of pretty much I think everybody on the political side of the spectrum too. So uh, let's put our let's put our uh, money where our mouths are and let's let's actually make this happen. Because if if they if we can support the the that, then we'll all be better off. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I could agree with either of you guys more. That's a uh, great call outs. I think a lot of people might be aware of how permitting can slow a lot of these projects down, but mm -hmm. then there is still uh, a large part of that is the supply chain and the utilities for getting sure. those things in place that can then delay it even another year. So right. um, 
totally appreciate your time, uh, both of you today. I, I just want to say thank you again, Andrew and Lou, for both joining today and kind of having both of you on to explain what uh, XCharge is doing in the space and how your candidates are making a difference. And this has been super fascinating and really great to hear uh, not just what XCharge is doing, but also just what both of you are seeing in the space and kind of insights that you've shared with us today. So thank you both. Absolutely, so Chase. It's been a pleasure. Um, we very much appreciate the invite and letting us ramble a little bit about some of the <laughs> stuff that we're involved in every single day. So it's, it's been a breath of fresh air to talk to somebody who truly does understand. <laughs> well, my, so my pleasure. And we'll, we'll have to have you both on again soon. Talk, talk later. Well, certainly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great day.